If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Um, my wife will ask me all the time, you ready for your message this morning? Sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say it's a little bit mumbled. <laughs> but I believe it's what God would have me to say, so I'm going to say it. Um, there are days that, as you know, you've sat, some of you have sat here for my entire 11 years, and there's days that it flows, and there's other days you walk away and say, what was he really trying to say? I'm trying to be with, <laughs> say what God wants me to say. Um, but as we're looking through the book of Acts, the beginning part of it, as you know, deals with the Holy Spirit. And I want to just give a little bit of an introduction by reading a quote from Johnny Hunt. He's one of my favorite preachers. So to quote Johnny Hunt, he said, The early church had none of the things that we think are so essential for success today. Buildings, money, political influence, social status. And yet the church won multitudes of Christ and saw many churches established throughout the Roman world. Why? Because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit energizing its ministry. The people were those who were ignited by the Spirit of God. I have to agree with them. I have to agree. I mean, when you think about it, Jesus didn't invest in stadiums full of people. He wasn't Billy Graham, though there's nothing wrong with what Billy Graham did. He wasn't Billy Graham. He invested in how many people? What? There you go, 12. I mean, it was a handful. God never called us. I mean, nowhere in the Scripture do you see a, 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 a formula... Now here, go out and reach the masses. He said, the masses are like a sheep not having a shepherd. He said, the fields are white under harvest, but where are the laborers? He said, they're out there, but he goes, I don't see a lot of people going after them. Right? I mean, he did say that. But nowhere in Scripture does he command us to go reach the masses. And I still say the best way to reach people is one life at a time. One life investing into the life of another. I still say that that is the best way to share your faith. And if you say, I don't really know how to do that, simply tell someone else what has happened to you. That's all the woman at the well did, right? She simply told someone else what happened to her. But when we look at why churches are dying, I I think a good part of it is because the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with it. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been kicked out of a lot of places. In Jude, verse 20, says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. How often do we really think about the Holy Spirit and praying daily, saying, God, lead me in every aspect of this day. I don't know about you, but it seems like as soon as we get up in the morning, we, our day starts, and it's just like, vroom, gone. I mean, the idea of getting up early before we do our day to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to guide us, to direct us. It just doesn't happen. Oh, we have sincere motives. We want it to. We wish it would, but we don't make it happen. Was it Mark Twain or somebody said a plan not to fail is a plan to fail? The idea is that we don't plan our days in such a way or prioritize our days in such a way that we are begging the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And maybe I'm speaking for myself. Maybe you're much more spiritual than that. I, I hope you are. But I just know how busy days get. I know how life happens. And before you know it, the day is over and you're wondering, did I even read today? Did I spend any time in prayer today? 
Did I even mention that I'm a Christian to somebody? That I follow Jesus to anyone? I mean, well, then we, we feel, might even feel a little bit bad about it. But not bad enough to change it the next day. Let's be honest. Anyone else relate? My hand's up. It happens. We don't want it to happen, but it does. And I think we need to get conscious about the fact that we need the Holy Spirit to be working in and through us because in your flesh, you will fail, I will fail, we will all fail, and fail miserably. So this is how I grew up. Let me just hear this. Some people hear the miraculous stories of you know, things that are happening in the Bible that took place in Bible times, and they come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit that was at work back then must be a different Holy Spirit than that's than at work today, right? I mean, obviously the miracles that happened, the stories that you heard, that was a different God, a different Holy Spirit, a different set of experiences than what we have today, right? Oh, it's not. Wow. So why don't we see God doing these things? I was glad because last time I said this, someone came to me and said, I just had an answer to prayer. Praise God. I love that. When God is at work, I love that. But let's really be honest across the board as a general rule. When's the last time you saw God do something miraculous? I want to see that. Not the big wow-wow in the sky, not the big writing that the whole world saw on every side of the planet, but just an observation that God did this. I want to see that. I'm praying for that this fall. I want to see God do something here in this church. We're, we're about to celebrate 50 years. But 50 years doesn't mean anything if God's not in it. It doesn't mean a, nothing if God's not in it. And if we're living in the past and someone said, well, we used to have this many people here. And then when this happened and this many people left. I don't care about the past. You can't live there. You can't live in the past. Celebrate it, praise God for it, but you don't live there. We're looking to the future and what God's going to do, not what He did way back when. We rejoice in it, but we don't live there, right? We're looking for what He's going to do. But some people have this idea that what He did back then, He can't do today. Yes, He can. It's the same God, same Jesus, same Holy Spirit, same working that He has the ability and the power to do. But I also promise you, as it says in Matthew 13, where Jesus said He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If you don't expect God to do anything, guess what? Hebrews reminds us. It says, They that pray must believe that He exists and that He's a rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek Him. He says, Those that believe God is going to do something, they won't be disappointed. But if you don't expect God to do something, Matthew 13, you won't be disappointed either. Because the reality is, you can't do it in your flesh. You can't wish it enough. You can't hope it enough. You can't get excited about it enough. If the Holy Spirit's not in it, it's not going to happen. There are aspects of the Holy Spirit that I may not fully understand. I, I will willingly admit that. Yet I know that without the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we can accomplish nothing of significance for God. Do you believe that? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And I'm not talking about big things within the church. I'm talking about just in our day-to-day living. I mean, let's be honest. Some days you need the Holy Spirit just not to crack your kid in the head. You need that. I'm not just talking about 
getting an increase in your wages at work. I'm talking about conversations you need the Holy Spirit to be at work in. I'm talking about your reactions to the things you hear. You need the Holy Spirit to be at work in. I'm talking about conversations with your friends, neighbors, co-workers, that you need the Holy Spirit to be at work in. And yet we do all of these things and so many of these things in our own flesh, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, and we wonder why God is not doing anything. We need to get back to our dependency being upon Him. You know, when we got... And let me just say this. This may upset some of you. Some of you may say amen. I'm not sure which. But I don't need a special revelation experience of the Holy Spirit to know that I have the Holy Spirit. Because God's Word told me that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He took up residence within me. And I've also heard people say that, well, you're demon-possessed. Not if you're a believer, you're not. God is not going to share His temple with a demon. Did you catch that? If you're truly born again and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you cannot be demon-possessed. People are going to get upset about that on Facebook. I'm just telling you, it's not true. You can be oppressed, but you cannot be possessed. God is not going to share His temple with any demon. I am controlled by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit indwells me once I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How do I know that? God's Word tells me that. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Once again, you don't own yourself. God owns you if you're His. Bottom line is, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, He says this, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as fire as one sat upon each of them. They got the Holy Spirit. I don't fully understand all that, but they got it. And I know that I'm thankful for it. In fact, in John 14, verse 17, he says, I will leave you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to do what? He's in you. He'll teach you all things, bring things to your remembrance, the things that you've learned. Why? So that you can operate in the knowledge and, and, and existence of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it in the flesh. Unless you just don't want them. The bottom line is we have the Holy Spirit and we desperately need Him. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us, to teach us. Yet in God's Word, we see a phenomenal example whereby the Holy Spirit worked in incredible ways to bring glory to God and show His power. So if you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 just for a moment. I want to read this. And as you're turning there, one thing we need to remember, though, is that God is not the author of confusion. He's not. People say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, read further. Let Scripture show you about other Scripture. Let Scripture talk to you and teach you. It won't contradict itself. And there are many people who will read into some verses and make a claim that one must have certain experience to validate their faith. That in and of itself will likely cause error in your thinking. So let me just for a moment read Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 1. 
says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with, they were all with one accord in one place. So let me just talk about this just for a moment. They were in one accord. That speaks of what? Unity. God loves unity. And how can we have unity within the body of Christ when we're all on the same page? In fact, that's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He says he gave some pastors, teachers, bishops, evangelists, so forth, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The end of verse 16 says, till we all come into the unity of the faith. How do we get in unity? Get in God's Word. Let the Holy Spirit guide you, direct you. Bottom line. It says they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as the rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, one sat upon each of them. So all these people that were in there, and this is funny as you read the commentary on these verses. Man, it is as far as east is from the west on what they say this means. You know, it's everything from all they were talking gooberish, gibberish, jash, whatever, to it just resembled that the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon them, and everything in between. All I know is that the Holy Spirit showed up. That's why I said there's some things I don't fully understand. I don't, there's not a dictionary that says, okay, divided tongues, mm, fire. Yeah, that means this. No, there is commentary, and I, I don't fully understand, but I just know this. The Holy Spirit came and rested upon them and began to do great things there. As fire of one sat upon each of them, those that were in the room. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, did God use tongues? Yep. There's the jibber-jabbish that, that, that we kind of... I, I don't think it's the same. That's my opinion. I'll tell you why in a minute. But there's this jibber-jabber that came upon them that they all spoke in their language and understood in their language. Um, and I'll explain that in just a minute. It says... Turn two pages here. Um, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own, or each in our own language in which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what could this mean? Others mocking, they said they're full of new wine. When you start looking at all these things, it's amazing what God did in and that, through that moment when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Let me just say, this is how I grew up. There is a fear in some churches, in some circles, um, relating to this. And I think because we don't want to be termed as Pentecostal or charismatic or one of these other terminologies that we give to people who believe in the practice of tongues on a regular basis, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't exercise prayer in the Holy Spirit because we don't want to be like them. Shame on us. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And by the way, I'm not promoting tongues this morning either. Let me just tell you. But if you notice in our text in Acts 2 how God did use tongues at this moment. He says there were Jews, devout men from every nation. So unless you think these were just crazies, they weren't. It says that they were devout men. 
They were devout. And if you look at that word devout through other epistles or other other of the Pauline epistles, you'll find out they were godly men who were in the word. They were studying the word. They weren't crazies. They were devout men from every nation. But there was confusion. Why? Why was there confusion? Because everyone heard in their own language. Can you imagine just for a moment, I'm sitting up here talking in my English language that I butcher on a regular basis, but it's the only one I know. You're sitting out there and you might be Japanese or Korean or Italian or Nepali or whatever it is that you speak, and you're hearing me talk as though I'm talking in your language. That's what was happening. So let me just say, my opinion is this. It was a language. It was a language, not jibber-jabber. Because it says that. So I can take that from God's Word as something that's the reality. He says that they understood it in their language. I have close friends that are not of the same doctrinal persuasion I am. They're good friends. I love them to death. I do anything for them, but we don't agree doctrinally. I don't hang out with them. I don't spend a lot of time with them. But I ask them. I said, so how do you teach your people, if this is absolutely necessary, how do you teach your people to speak in tongues? And the guy didn't even miss a beat. He looked right at me and says, Ken, he goes, we teach them jibber-jabber. Jibber-jabber. Like baby talk. I said, seriously? He goes, yeah. Goo-goo-gaga, 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 until it becomes like almost a trance. I said, really? And I just went like this. I was not being facetious or disrespectful. I said, where is that? Where is it? Show me. Well, it's not in there. Well, right, so you're making this a requirement for my faith to be validated, but it's something that has to be taught by giving Google Gaga lessons? He believed that. Amongst other things I don't agree with. But the reality is, they heard it in their language. But not only that... So this confusion is because they were like, this doesn't make sense. This is not normal. Why is it that you have a guy speaking one language in front of it that we know he's not our nationality, he doesn't speak our language, but we're hearing it in our language? How does that happen? God. The Holy Spirit. And as with many things in Scripture, I don't have to fully understand it to believe it and trust it by faith. That God did it. So there was marvel and amazement. When you think about this and you count up the languages, there were nearly 20 languages there. 20 different languages that they all heard in their own tongue. And now the confusion moved to amazement. Why? I, I think when you look at verse 11, it says, We hear them speaking in our own tongues, what? The wonderful works of of God. And when you look at that, it wasn't about the individual. It wasn't about, oh, this is really cool. We get to be going out in the annals of history as somebody who heard something unique. No, they were hearing about the works of God being done in their lives. And really, what else would be greater? You say, well, could that happen today? Yes, it does happen today. Um, I don't necessarily believe in tongues as a lot of people believe in tongues, but I believe in that aspect of tongues. And here's how I, I tell you it can happen. I have a friend who pastored in Indianapolis by the name of Kimber Kaufman. 
Kimber was a, a good man, um, pastored a church, College Park Baptist Church, for years. Um, for several years, he went into the jungles of the Philippine, Philippine Island. And on a couple of occasions, as he was there, he was up preaching by invitation of the pastors that were there in the jungle, preaching through an interpreter. This is back in the mid-90s. He was just preaching away. And, of course, if you've ever preached through an interpreter, it's time-consuming. Um, I've been all over India and Africa. I've preached through interpreter. It's, you know, an average 30-minute message turns into an hour and 15 minutes through the interpretation sometimes. And we're preaching away, but Kimber was in the Philippines preaching. The only language he knows, English. And he preached his heart out. There were hundreds of people there. Many of them unsaved. Keep that in mind. But when it was over, people came up to him, started gathering around him, and through an interpreter, they asked Kimber Kaufman this question. Why did you use an interpreter? They want to know why you used an interpreter. What do you mean? Why did you use an interpreter? They want to know why you used an interpreter. I'm not sure I know what they mean. I don't speak your language. We heard you say everything that you said, and then he repeated it. That happened twice to him in the Philippines. Many witnesses, many observed it. It wasn't jibber-jabber. It wasn't blah, 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 blah. It was him preaching in English and them hearing it twice. Can God do that? Yeah, he can. I think that more lines up with the biblical definition of tongues than what was going on in churches across America today. This is what happened. And I believe it can happen. If it happened for him, it can happen to others. And since I heard that, I've heard that happening of one or just a couple other places around the world too. But as you look at other passages, you see the purpose of it. They're talking about the wonderful works of God, who God is, His love for mankind, the fact that He sent His Son to die on a cross. There was marvel and amazement. Why? Because of who God is. And I believe that there's a biblical format for tongues. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Beginning in verse 6, it says this, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, When they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how it will be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For for you will be speaking into the air. There, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Now think about that. What's he saying? It's not rocket science. If there is going to be tongues, that must be able to be what? Understood. 
And I think that's where a lot of churches, a lot of denominations miss the boat. I personally believe that. And I believe they miss the boat because, first of all, there is not a notable language. And I've heard all the arguments. I've had all the debates. Well, not really debated, but listened to them all. And it doesn't change the fact. It says if it cannot be understood, there is no what? Value. No value. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall, I shall be a foreigner. You know, one of my biggest frustrations, I love visiting the other countries and speaking there. I love better just to encourage the pastors any way I can. But the bottom line is, one of my biggest frustrations is that when I get there, I can't communicate. Not language-wise. They can talk to me until they're blue in the face, but I don't know what they're saying. And it's frustrating. I, uh, I went so far as, how, how many know what Google Translate is? Or Duolingo? I have tried to punch in Nepali languages, and they laugh at me because I can't pronounce the words and I can't even get a grasp in any way, shape, or form of simple statements in the Nepali language. I can't do it. My only language is a love language. I give them a hug. I can't speak to them, you know, except for those that speak English to me. It's so frustrating. But the whole point is this. If you can't understand it, it has no meaning. And when somebody gets up there and blah, blah, What's they saying? What are they saying? Someone, please tell me. But there's no language. And it goes on that there's so so many passages here. Look at verse 21-22. It says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to what? Unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but those who believe. So if therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. But then he goes on and talks about order in the churches. And once again, this is my opinion. It's my belief why tongues should not be practiced within church circles today. This is just me. I believe it's from this book. But he says, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? Edification. So everyone should be what? Edified because of what happened. If you're not edified, it's not right. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at most, each in turn, and let one interpret. Take that one phrase. That one phrase. Let two or three. Churches, a lot of them that practice it, my friend's church, other churches that that do this, how many are doing it? Multiple people. Multiple people. But it says let there be order. Let two or three at most. It shouldn't be everybody in the entire church doing it. That's unbiblical. So if you're going to do it, and you do believe it's biblical, at least follow the guidelines that are in the Bible. It's not for everybody under the sun to do it. 
It's for two or three at most. But that's not what we see in the modern church. And it says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. So if there's going to be two or three who are going to do it, there must be somebody who says, because it's an intelligible language that can be understood and then translated to tell everybody what was said. That's not what we see in the churches today. I am going to catch flack on Facebook because i got friends. <laughs> That's all right. But it says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him first be silent. He goes on. He says, there's an order. There should be, there should be an intelligible language that can be understood and then interpreted by someone. And I hate to say this, but it says let women be silent <laughs> in this matter. It's referring to thongs. I didn't make that up. God, God put that in there. And then it says down in verse 35, it says, And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is a shameful for women to speak in church. The reality is in this area, and I don't think this is a... a carte blanche statement command of scripture but when we're talking about this theme of tongues verse 34 let women keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak but be submissive as the law also says and if they want to learn talk but there's a a means and a way to do this and everybody free for all jibber jabber is not it but here's what I want us to get don't Throw the baby out with the bath water. We need the Holy Spirit. And there's a way to implore the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives in a way that's not, that we're not operating in the flesh. There's a biblical format. And it must be followed. It must be exercised. And there's a lot more that could be said there, but I won't get myself any, any further trouble. But let me also say this. There is no command in Scripture for the idea of being baptized in the Spirit to have to be using tongues in this way. There is no command in Scripture. Prove me wrong. There are all kinds of commands to be filled with the Spirit. But there are not commands to be baptized by the Spirit. So this is this thing that we've got to set up on the Third Sunday of the month, anybody that wants to be baptized in the Spirit can come forward. It's not in there. Prove me wrong. Um, but the reality is, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. You're already baptized in the Spirit. You already have aligned yourself up with Christ. If as, as God's children, He lives within us. We're baptized into the Spirit. We have God's presence with us. We're to be filled with the Spirit over and over again, daily. That is a filling that we need. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you know Jesus Christ, he dwells within you. Bottom line, we're to be filled and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Be not drunk with wine in excess, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. 
Uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. So then when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. What happens when you are filled with the Spirit? You'll have boldness to do what God's asked you to do. To be who God's asked you to be. So let me just give a word of caution. Number one, avoid the idea that one must have an experience for their faith to be real and valid. I can just tell you, I'm 50 years old. I've never spoken in tongues. I don't look forward to it. I don't suspect it's ever going to happen. Could be wrong. I don't expect it. I don't think I'm wrong. I may get to heaven one day and find out I was wrong. I, I, I admit that. But I don't look forward to this jibber-jabber moment that, oh, the God just uttered something through me that no one has a clue what was said. And I don't think I need to have that experience for my faith to be validated. Not from God's Word. Nowhere does it say that I need that. So to add to that is extra-biblical. It's actually being legalistic. And there are many people who teach that you must have this experience to validate your Christian faith. No, you don't. And understand that no experience can supersede Scripture. Your experience doesn't supersede what's written in God's Word. And I don't doubt that there may be some of you in this room who say, well, I've had that experience. Wonderful. I'm not making fun of you. I'm not casting judgment on you. But I will say this. Your experience does not supersede Scripture. God's not handing out new revelation to individuals these days. God's not adding to the book these days just because you are more spiritual than someone else. Or you think that, you know, Aaron was telling me that there's a lady who says that she goes to heaven every other day. Christmas land, too. I mean, that's up there in heaven. Weird. Unbiblical. I'll say it. It's unbiblical. When I look at Acts chapter 2, it's a reminder that we cannot do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, incredible things were done. And we cannot operate outside of the Holy Spirit. Because if you're operating outside of the Holy Spirit, you're operating in the flesh. I used to think in my 20s, I used to know this guy from South Bend. He was part of another large ministry that promotes speaking in tongues and healing and charismatic movement and the whole nine yards. He's part of that ministry. And this guy would literally pray about everything. And he would literally ask the Holy Spirit to be involved in every little thing he did. Lord, I'm going to the car dealership today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would direct me to the exact right car. I'm like, dude, it's a car. That's what I used to think in my 20s. Lord, I'm going to the store today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would direct me to the right deal. You know, I, I have all, these, all this food to get for this activity. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help me buy the right brand so that I can save the money and be a good steward of what you've given to me. I'm thinking, dude, you're going to the store buying food to get over it. That was my 20s. The older I get, the more I realize that guy was on to something. The dude had a three-ring binder this thick of answered prayers. I look back and say, wow. I'd love to have that. I'd love to say, wow, I took every little, even the most insignificant, trivial things to God and ask the Holy Spirit to work and guide and direct through that. 
was too young and dumb to know better. And what I'm realizing at this stage of my life is that I cannot do anything. Anything. I can't have a right relationship with my wife. I can't have a right relationship with my kids. I can't have a right relationship with my people. I cannot have a right relationship with my neighbor. I cannot think right. I cannot talk right. I cannot write right. I cannot do anything unless I'm being filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, it's flesh. I'm learning. I'm still growing in this area. I don't need no extra spiritual experience to validate my faith. What I need is the day they get in God's Word and be filled with the Spirit. That's it. I need daily to put my flesh down and say, God, fill me. Use me. Help me be emptied of self. That's what I need every day. Because otherwise, I'm going to continue to operate in my flesh. Anyone else relate? I cannot do what I need to do apart from the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, you'll accomplish nothing of significance or for God's glory. When Pentecost came, things changed. The Holy Spirit came and rested upon them. There was confusion because what is happening? All of a sudden the confusion turns into amazement. And all of a sudden they're like marveling at the work that God is doing as they're hearing about the works of God. I have to believe in some small way, maybe significant way, that if we would just impress upon ourselves the need to be walking in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be exercising in the Spirit, to do everything within the Spirit, that maybe God would show Himself strong through us. We'd have more power and more victory over sin and more ability to accomplish things for His glory if we would just do it. But I think if we don't plan to do that, we will fail at it. Every day. I will. And I believe you will. But once again, not to just irritate people about the whole tongues issue. I think the bigger issue is are you being filled with the Spirit every day? Don't rest on the experiences that you may have had but, or what your experiences you're waiting for, but what God has already said clearly in His Word. God can still do some miraculous things. As I was talking to someone else, I think a year or two ago, it was a long, long time ago at a pastor's gathering here, and I shared that story about Kimber Coffin. They said, yeah, I've heard that before. And I just find it interesting that God does that in certain circumstances because he said it is to be a sign to the unbelievers. And when there's unbelievers present, God does miraculous things too. Why? So that he can turn their hearts towards himself. Say, this is not normal. I mean, when you think of the miraculous things that God did in Scripture, burning fire. Hey, dude, you guys seen this? i got a bush over here. It's on fire and it's not burning. That's not normal. Wait, wait, let me take my glasses off. <laughs> Am I really seeing this? Really? Yep, it's still there. God does some incredible things that are not normal, that are not every day. Why? So that we know that it's Him, that it's at work. You see, if I'm just a great communicator, and I have all kinds of skills and abilities, what do I need Him for? I got this one. Sorry, God, I got this. <laughs> I'm good. What do we need Him for? We need the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. Amen? That's my challenge. That's the challenge that God's given me. As we go into the fall, I want God to work. But I want to sense the Holy Spirit at work within us. 
And I don't think that happens by accident. That happens when we say, God, work in and through us. Empty me of me. Remove all fleshliness from me. God, fill me with your spirit. Indwell me. And ask God to do in and through us what we can't do in and through ourselves. Lord, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. But Lord, I ask that we would be filled with the Spirit daily. As a result of being in your word, as a result of spending time in prayer, as a result of submitting ourselves and surrendering ourselves to you, as a result of being more committed to you, God, I pray that you would work in and through us, Lord, in ways that only you can. God, I, I'm sure I butchered this theme, Lord, this morning. But I pray that you would use it to help us learn, to grow, to be challenged. God, I pray that you would somehow, some way, teach us daily the importance of and the necessity of being filled with the Spirit to accomplish your glory. Lord, we don't want to accomplish anything in the flesh. We don't want to just do things that are okay. We want to do things that are marvelous so it would be obvious that you did it. God, we pray for souls to be saved. We pray for those to be discipled and baptized. We pray for those who would be called to service. We pray for those who would, Lord, look for opportunities to exercise their faith and to share it with others. God, we cannot do that apart from you. Apart from your Holy Spirit going with us, going before us, going after us, Lord, to accomplish your will. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple question as we do each and every week. Maybe God has challenged you. Maybe, maybe I irritated you, and if I did, I apologize, but not really. Um, <laughs> I, I pray that you can take God's Word and apply it. I say, if you're honest with yourself this morning, Pastor, there's some areas of my life that I've not been operating in the Spirit, been operating in the flesh. The Spirit hasn't been a part of my daily routine. But I need His filling. I need to get back to walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, rather than the flesh. God's challenging you this morning. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes. Yes, in the back. Sides. Yep. I just challenge those of you that have acknowledged that to take a moment and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Allow me to be used of you through your spirit. May your Holy Spirit control me. Control every aspect of me, my thoughts, my actions, my reactions, my words. May they be filled with spirit. And I think when we do that, when we're honest about it, just like happened in Acts 2, God will show up and do some incredible things. But as long as we are bound in the flesh and living in the flesh and operating in the flesh, don't expect it. Lord God, would you speak to our hearts? Be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you. And I ask dear Father, Lord, that you'd give victory in this area, Lord. We have been neglecting this area for, for way too long. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us as a body, as a, 
as a church, Lord, I pray you forgive us, Lord, for operating in the flesh. May we not be guilty of that any longer. And now, Lord, I pray that we might sense your Spirit at work within us. May we long for it. May we pray for it. May we expect it. And may you be glorified through all that is said and done. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.